Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analysts James Early, Seth Jason, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be Hi, with you, Chris. Coming up, we will talk Apple versus Amazon, offer up a few stock ideas, and share a few beefs. But we begin with the week's big business news. A good day for the market on Thursday after Wells Fargo issued a surprise profit announcement. That would be the same Wells Fargo that received $25 billion in government bailout money. James, what do you make of all this? Well, Chris, the whole point of this bailout money was to jumpstart lending, and, and Wells Fargo is, is uh, very well aware of that. And I, I counted five mentions of the word taxpayer in their brief little uh, press release. And this was not the formal earnings announcement with all the information. This was just a, a press release with, with some key points just to sort of, I guess, win public sentiment and investor sentiment. So it's good. I and mean, Wells is the first of, of the big banks to report for their first quarter. And this is a good sign. I mean, we'll take good news, nothing wrong with that. But the big problem remains all the bad assets still on their books. And for that, we have to wait and see. Can, can we give credit to where credit is actually due, though? I mean, I don't think this has anything to do w- with Wells necessarily, or will, or will any of the profit coming up at any of these other banks. But how about those uh, taxpayer-funded uh, treasury buy-downs that have created the frenzy in refinancing that is doing pumping all this business to the banks? The news, uh, just in terms of operating results from uh, from uh, Wells Fargo, is certainly better news than when Citibank, about a month ago, sparked this rally with very sketchy news of profitability as well. Operating results appear to be strong. They seem to be doing a good job of digesting uh, Wachovia. The problem for Wells Fargo is that it remains a bank. And so further loan losses are, are coming. And then the the, the big, you know, uh, elephants in the room, I suppose, are whether or not the Geithner plan is going to work and whether or not the, the mark to dream on accounting is going to continue for the foreseeable future. If those things don't uh, fire for the banks, well, then uh, what's going on now, which is a 60% run up over the last month, uh, that's going to dissipate pretty quickly. Yeah, we've got bad news on the way, I think, and not just at Wells Fargo, but everywhere with, with the, with credit card charge-offs that are going to be ramping up, this is this is not over, and a, and a good quarter isn't the end of the story. James, That's right. final word. Although Wells Fargo actually had only half the write-downs this quarter uh, of last quarter, and I will say, in defense of these banks, not that I'm a fan of the mark to dream on accounting, but they Wells Fargo said it was not a big factor. Citigroup said it was not going to affect them much. So, we'll markdowns see. on the mortgages, on whatever whatever the, the new rules allow. We'll see how they change their mind. Okay. (laughs) Other major stories this week. Insurance companies may be eligible for TARP money. Wholesalers cut inventories (laughs) by the biggest amount in 17 years. Mortgage applications continue to rise. And the SEC is considering reinstating the uptick rule, which means you couldn't short a stock unless its last price movement was up. Seth, I'll start with you. As an investor, what was the big headline of this week for you? I don't know which one which one matters most for investors. The one that ticks me off the most <laughs> as an investor, or I'm just going to say as a thinking person who likes data before conclusions, the whole uptick rule thing to me is absolutely amazing. Now, why is that? Well, because you've got the SEC coming together, I think like a bunch of weather vanes. The people in Congress are, oh, these darn short sellers are knocking down stock prices. And and you've got a lot of people who, quite frankly, I don't think should even be in the market if they think short sellers are their problem. And they come together and uh, Ms. Shapiro, who runs the SEC, even comes out and says, we don't have any empirical evidence showing that the removal of the uptick rule is responsible for the drop in stock prices. And then they come out and say, but we're going to consider doing this anyway. So it just makes absolutely no sense. You can't blame flies for manure. 
the reason stocks are down is that a lot of companies got some very bad news for a very long time, and then you got a lot of pessimism, and that's what makes markets go down. You don't need a uh, you don't need short sellers to do it for you. Short sellers are actually your friend. They're the people who tell you what's wrong with companies, and they are also the people if they get it wrong who knock the price down so that you can pick the shares up cheap. Speaking of flies and manure, and, 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 and <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of Boy Scout camp and, and latrines when, when I when I think of this, but. Um, <laughs> Just to play the devil's advocate, because I agree with you. I agree with you that it's pretty inconsequential. At most, it, it might affect a couple of stocks for short periods of time when the price drops suddenly. But for, for the for the market as a whole, it's, it's not effective or it's not a big thing. But is, is there any harm in this? Do you think this is any, anything wrong? I mean, yes, it's just one more thing to, to slightly slow down the, the momentum of the shorts. But is this really going to hurt? Well, I think anything that, that impedes the, the, the free flow of information and pricing information is bad. And I would just propose that what we might actually need instead is a downtick rule. Rather than, than worry about what the short sellers, who are usually very smart and they're professionals, rather than worry about them, let's protect all the rubes out there whose idea of how <laughs> to invest is to only see stock prices go up. Let's let them only buy stocks after the price has moved down a little bit. Maybe we <laughs> wouldn't have so much trouble with bubbles. I love it. And even if the effect is only on the margins, I mean, to the extent that we're expending a lot of energy focusing on something that doesn't have any impact, uh, that's oxygen in the room that could be better used uh, around things that actually exactly. do have an impact on the market. Shannon, before we move on to retail, what, what was the big headline of the week for you? I, I, I guess if I had to sort of uh, cherry pick my favorite detail, it's the, the inventory reduction. So, th- you know, even if uh, wholesalers are uh, taking price hits, they're making moves to make sure that their uh, supply is in line with anemic demand. And I think that, and Seth will probably uh, get us into the a little bit of the details of this, but I think that that has a lot to do with what's happened in retail the retail sector lately. That sector, uh, you know, financials are up about 60% over the last month. Retail stocks, uh, consumer discretionary stocks are up about 35%. Wall Street seems to be looking past anemic demand and focusing on things like uh, the, the, the inventory reduction, which will bring supply into alignment with demand. And if that's the case, uh, in the future, you know, when the economy does uh, begin to, to rise again, you could get a virtuous cycle, right? So they have to uh, raise to, to replenish the, the uh, supply that is now not uh, available. Uh, which means that they get to uh, rehire workers, which means that you know there are greater revenues and tax revenues, and so the, the economy doesn't look like it's a, such a basket case. I think that that's actually sort of a, a, a pipe dream right now, or at least a, a very rosy scenario. But in terms of what Wall Street appears to be pricing in, that's the train that's leaving the station. Okay. Speaking of retail, consumers still aren't buying. Most U.S. retailers posted lower same-store sales in March. Abercrombie & Fitch reported the biggest drop 34% decline. Walmart sales rose, but not as much as expected, so the stock got hit. Seth, please make sense of the retail world. I don't know. That poor Abercrombie is the, is the preteen <laughs> thong not selling well for them <laughs> this season. Apparently not. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know that, that you can take a look at any of these numbers for, for a single month and read too much into them. They, they go all over the place, and uh, there are companies out there who've just given up reporter, reporting these month-to-month numbers because they're, they're so volatile. Uh, that doesn't sound like great news to me from Abercrombie, and I'm actually a fan of, of how they've run that business over the years. But the bottom line is you can't judge any of this by, by what happens over one month. And uh, actually, the monthly sales numbers to me, especially as they regard retail or apparel, are usually a great opportunity for volatility in the stock. So when you find a company that, that you really believe in, these, these numbers are a great chance for you to get the stock cheap if you believe you know, that it's going to move. Seth, can I just ask, is that an Abercrombie uh, sweater you've got there? It looks like <laughs> this, uh, this sweater came from Target and cost $6. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. It is a variable pricing cage match. 
Apple, Amazon, and Walmart have all adjusted prices on digital song downloads, raising some prices while lowering others. Apple, the leader of the pack, has moved from selling all songs for 99 cents to a tiered model where songs cost 69 cents, 99 cents, and $1.29. Record companies determine the pricing of their songs within that tier. So we'll turn to our resident music critic, Shannon Zimmerman. Shannon, what do you make of it? Uh, well, the labels have wanted this in the worst way for the longest time, and Apple gave it to them in the worst way. So instead of the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the single uh, price bucket, now they have three. Uh, but at the 69 cent uh, level, uh, labels weren't make, making any money on that stuff anyway. That's all catalog. It's, uh, you know, Brandy, you're a fine girl. You know, that, that kind of stuff that people pretty much aren't buying unless they're uh, perhaps me or my, my father, who's obsessed with Looking Glass, the, uh, the, the artist behind <laughs> Brandy, you're a fine girl. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so, so to me, this just sort of underscores why Apple is uh, such a powerful company, not just in terms of the leverage that it has, to, because it is one of the key distributors of music right now, but in terms of, of the, the brand enhancement that the, this has uh, uh, sort of uh, conferred on them. So they made this conversation, which is a ridiculous conversation uh, that you know should have been settled long ago, last five years. Labels have wanted this for that long. And the fact that it took this long to get so little uh, really underscores that, that Apple is the 800-pound gorilla in the room and that the labels, at least in terms of retail sales. They have other avenues for revenue, but at least in terms of retail sales, uh, the, the labels pretty much are going to be uh, yanked around uh, by the chain by uh, Steve Jobs and company. Does this mean, though, that the gorilla is short a banana or two? I mean, is this, is this a sign that Apple is losing its power in the market, that they have to go to this uh, plan? I, I don't I don't think so at all. I mean, so to the extent that, uh, you know, the, the, the brand new best-selling hits are going to be the ones that go for $1.29 uh, a pop. That's where most of the revenue now is anyway. And so uh, Apple will have uh, more, uh, a bigger slice of that pie, as will the label. So they get more revenue. They, they get their brand enhanced. They look like they were friend of the consumers because they wanted that simpl- uh, s- simplified pricing structure. And it took the labels five years to actually get this done. And finally, news this week that Segway is partnering with GM to sell a two-wheel, two-seater mini car. <laughs> the self-balancing electric car can travel up to 35 miles on as little as 60 cents worth of electricity. The code name for the project is Puma. Personal Urban Mobility and Accessibility, because apparently POS was taken. Seth? <laughs> You love a bicycle. You must be thrilled about yeah, this. Yeah, when I read about the specs and what they were trying to accomplish <laughs> here, you know, a small, simple device that could, you know, have this range. We have that already. It's called a bicycle. But the good thing about it is it's not it's not overly managed by the government, so you can actually ride it on the road. This thing doesn't have a prayer of making it on the streets because it would have to add so much safety equipment that, you know, you'd add hundreds of pounds to it probably. And so at the same time, you're, you're not going to get it on bike paths. You're not going to have it on sidewalks. It is... It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And if this is what GM wants to trot out as an example of its of the way it's forward thinking, then somebody just needs to to shoot whatever's left at GM and really kill it for good. I, I think we gotta give credit where credit is due though. First of all, it's something different. You know, it's the first GM thing that doesn't look like the same tired it's half American a golf cart. <laughs> well, look, GM is sort of the Sears wardrobe of, of the car industry. They all look the same. This is different. This is this is unique. It's cute. And 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 you know, if people ride little motorized cars around the Walmart, I mean I think we'll definitely see demand for, for this sort of thing. But yeah, I wouldn't want to be hit by a, a Hummer when I'm, I'm driving one, but uh, I think I it's cute. Why I, wouldn't I, you I just, just drive a golf cart instead? You don't <laughs> need gyroscopes for the golf cart. you got four wheels. We've already got them. Do, do they can, make street-legal golf carts? That's my question. There are people who do, actually. <laughs> you can go to some of, these, uh, some of these retirement communities, and you see that's all people drive. All right, it's time for What's Your Beef? 
time to tee off on a stock, a person, a company, a concept, anything. James, we'll start with you. Chris, my beef is simply scapegoating. Uh, the short selling rule, I think, is our, our latest iteration of that. Someone's got to be to blame. Something is always somebody's fault. And, and, and that may be true, but I think it's, it's our fault uh, as investors, as consumers. And I, I think the more we scapegoat, the more we push momentum in the wrong direction. Shannon? Well, so, yeah, my, my beef, I guess, has to do with something that is uh, my fault. So I was in la- last week I was in Manhattan for a, a conference, and because I'm a cheapskate and because I needed Internet access on the way up, I took a bus line that shall remain nameless uh, <laughs> that provides Wi-Fi uh, up and down I-95. And so th- it was great until we got just to the Lincoln Tunnel, and uh, the trip was a smashing success, literally, because our bus smashed into a New Jersey Transit Authority bus that was parked on the side of the road. How it ended up not being our driver's fault, I'll, I'll never know, because it was a slow-motion s- smash in and the police report came and an hour and a half later it turned out to be the other guy's fault who was just off on the side of the road so <laughs> <laughs> should have known better than to park that's at, new york yeah, yeah i guess it all worked out well for us so it, so the conference uh, was was fantastic had a really good time and then i was going to take the return trip back on the bus as well uh overslept all right and so i missed my bus and so i had to take amtrak and had no wi-fi why on earth does Amtrak <laughs> not provide Wi-Fi? And their business uh, cars, at least, is, would be the easiest thing to do in the world. It would be utterly cheap, and they could probably charge more for tickets uh, from, from business travelers who would want to do what I wanted to do, which is to work, but instead I ended up uh, uh, drooling on the person who was sleeping next to me. Lucky them. Seth? <laughs> My beef is this uh, this new car. It's two wheels. <laughs> no, uh, I'm going to have to uh, go along similar lines with James. And it's not just scapegoating, but it's actually just the lack of critical thinking that goes on in the investment world and in our country in general. People love to jump to conclusions without actually getting any facts. And this isn't the easiest thing to, to learn, I guess. And maybe I was lucky. I went to one of those hippie trippy colleges where all we did is sit around and discuss things. But really, folks, if you're out there investing, what you need to do is, is gather a, a body of information and comb through it first before you make up your mind. Uh, don't make snap judgments uh, about anything, about a stock, about policy, none of it. All right. Let's close with one stock on your radar for the next week. James? Uh, Chris, if, if you're an aggressive, money-hungry kind of investor... Oh, who, I am. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> who wants to capitalize on natural gas prices? One one play is Chesapeake Energy. It's only has 1.45% yield, which is a little lower than my normal uh, kind of zone, but it, its return on equity has been whacked thanks to low gas prices, and I, I just don't think they're going to stay this low for this long. Ticker is CHK. Great. Shannon? Yeah, I have a little uh, known company called Apple. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of the reasons that I was uh, talking about uh, earlier on, that the variable pricing concession is just ridiculously great news for the company, both in terms of its brand and, and in terms of the additional ge- uh, revenue it will generate. And then you look at it, uh, its valuation profile, you have uh, a great company with a lot of cash flow trading at a substantial discount uh, in terms of PE to its historical average. And then even right now, relative to its uh, typical industry rival, at a discount in terms of price to cash flow. So you got a great company like Apple. Here comes uh, the next generation iPhone later this June. A bunch of people are going to be uh, first-time purchasers. A lot of people are going to re-up uh, around this. I think now is a great time to take a close look at Apple. Seth? General I have, Motors? I have a General Motors, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we invest in the Segway, folks? I've been looking at a lot of restaurants lately, partly because we have some restaurant suppliers at the newsletter that I'm involved with, also because we have some restaurants, and one that, that came to uh, mind because uh, my neighbor just purchased this stock sitting next to me in the office is Sonic. And I've seen actually a lot of restaurants are posting better-than-expected sales. Uh, and so it seems that there's that consumers out there 
are either trading down from higher priced restaurants or they're trading down from vacations or what or whatever you have and they're still going to a lot of the restaurants and Sonic of course runs these really kind of fun drive-ins uh, and they have a pretty good menu I've always liked the I've always liked the food there I've always liked the business it was always kind of expensive you look at it now it's been vacillating uh, the past few months between you know six and twelve dollars I think we're up at the higher end of that range right now but I still think it's a stock that's really worth a look and it's still got some growth ahead of it okay James early Shannon Zimmerman, Seth Jason. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be Welcome. with you, Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill, and we'll see you next time. The sailor say, Brandon, you're a fine